Pastor Church doing well? Come on, come on. Just kids got out of school last week. Summertime, starting a new series on mental health and calling it Everything's Fine. We'll get to that in just a moment. We can't cover everything that we're to cover about loss and grief, anxiety, depression, addiction in two weeks. And so I wanted at the beginning of this two-week series to kind of give you some, some next steps maybe, highlight some things. The first thing is we have an amazing uh, ministry here uh, at Action Church called Action Recovery. Action Recovery is an amazing ministry that happens here at Winter Park, and we're looking to expand it in the coming season. So we have a Action Recovery Leader Interest Night next Sunday right here at Winter Park at 1.30 p.m. We see people come every single week and begin to wrestle with and get uh, uh, sound, practical uh, advice and next steps along with a community of people. And Dr. Hoffman and the team have done a phenomenal job over the years. And if you're walking through anything, make sure you check that out. But if you've ever thought about being a leader there, we're really looking to expand uh, our ability to, to serve that part of our community at Action Recovery. And then I've got some books for you, uh, some next steps from some, some great pastors that, that I've read and, and looked to. These are on the screen as well. Just three things that, that maybe be next steps in this series. If we hit on anything in this series where you struggle with loss, grief, anxiety, depression, addiction, these books would be amazing. Out of the Cave by Pastor Chris Hodges, Winning the War in Your Mind, Pastor Craig Rochelle, and Attacking Anxiety, Pastor Sean Johnson out of Red Rocks and, and Denver. Everything is fine. We, we say that all the time. It's one of the most famous memes right now. You can see on the graphic, everything's fine. It's not, but we pretend that everything is fine. And we pretend when we say, when we lie to ourselves that everything's fine, it actually keeps us captive to the lie that we're believing, to the thing that we're struggling with. Ecclesiastes says this, this is a time for for everything, chapter three, verses one through eight. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. Everything's fine. It's fine. Does anybody else hate the word fine? It's fine. You never want to cook for somebody and their response be, it's fine. You don't want to come out of surgery. How'd it go, doc? Fine. Went fine. No. Young men in the room, you never want to hear from your significant other. I'm fine. Run. It's a trap. Get out while you can. I found some appropriate uses for this meme. Everything is, is fine this week. So I saw this. Yeah, gas prices might hit $15 a gallon by the end of the summer, but at least Taco Bell brought back the Mexican pizza. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Yeah, toilet paper is going to be worth more than the U.S. dollar in 2023. But hey, Charmin Ultra Strong is a great financial institution name. Everything's fine. 
Here's the point of the series. Everything is fine until it's not. Everything is fine in our life, in our Christian life. You walked in today, agreed or agreed, how you doing? Fine, great. Everything is fine until it's not. And it's the times when it's not that we begin to have to wrestle with our faith journey. It is not half, it is not hard to have faith, hope, courage when everything's great. But when it's not, that's when we really find out what's going on on the inside of us. John 16, 33 reminds us that it's not always gonna be fine. And it says, I told you these things, Jesus talking to his disciples. In the last moments before he goes to the cross, his last teaching, his last, if you're gonna have one more sermon, if you're gonna have one more speech, if you're gonna have one more time with the closest people, the, the men that you've been leading for three years, the 12 of you spent every day together, and your last talk, don't you think the last words that you speak, you're really gonna talk about the things that's most important? And Jesus didn't give them a pep talk. He didn't give them an attaboy. He didn't say, hey, it's gonna be great. He said, hey guys, let me tell you something. It's not always gonna be fine. I've told you these things so that it means you might have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. It's not always gonna be great. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And I want somebody to hear today before we start this two-week series that it is okay to not be okay. That for far too long, we've forced people that struggle with these issues going through real life, and all of us do to tuck it in, to put a smile on your face, to fake it until you make it. I wrote it down this week. The church is spiritualized, marginalized, or just flat out ignored what the battle going on between our ears. No more, we, we need to talk about it, we need to bring it spotlight. Everything is fine until it's not. And it's actually this scientific term. I, I was talking to one of our team members over the past couple of weeks who brought this research uh, to our prep time and it's this term I want you to write down. It's called optimism bias. Optimism bias. We all have it. This isn't a spiritual thing. This is a scientific thing that we think that, that if anything can go well, that it will. Come on. I actually have a chance to win the lottery. I'm behind people all the time at 7-Eleven just buying lottery tickets. They ain't winning. If they were winning, that number wouldn't be getting so high every single month. That thing ain't building because people are taking from it. That, that thing's building because you're putting into it. Why? Because I got a chance. Come on, parents. Our kids are the best. They're going to be the best. Little Johnny's not getting a college scholarship in athletics. It's optimism bias. He seems kind and intelligent but he's not very good. <laughs> no, he's great. We have this bias that we think everything is going to work out. Everything is going to fall in place. Right, check this out. We're all wired that we believe we are the exception to the rule. We will win. Our kids will be the best. We won't be one of the statistics of disease or death or tragedy. It's this thing on the inside of us that we have this bias that we're, we're gonna be okay. 
And we're going to talk about that a little bit at the end, that that's not a, a bad frame of reference, it's not a bad outlook, but it needs to be attached to something more. Because what happens when the optimism bias bubble is burst? What happens when our kids don't succeed? What happens when we don't win the lottery? What happens when we get diagnosed with the disease? What happens when we suffer tragedy and loss? So we're gonna talk about anxiety, depression, and addiction next week. Today I wanna talk about what happens when it doesn't turn out the way we thought it was going to. What happens when we have a little thing called unmet expectations? When somebody comes in our optimism bias bubble and just pokes a hole in it. Unmet expectations produce a few things. Write these down. Unmet expectations produce stress. When it doesn't work out like I thought, I get stressed. Come on, in recent days, gas prices are higher, bills are higher. When expectations aren't met that I thought my, my paycheck, I thought the relationship, when it doesn't look like I thought that it should look, I begin to worry. That bubble is burst and stress comes in. Come on, unmet expectations produce anger. And it's this little stuff too. Because we're talking about mental and emotional health. It's not always the big things. And we're gonna talk about that over the next two weeks and we're gonna dive in. But, but sometimes it's just, I was driving down Redbug the other day. If, if you're in Winter Springs or Winter Park, you know, and they're building a new Chick-fil-A. God's chicken's being built on the right side of the road, not the left. He's, my God is a God of more than enough. I don't have to cross the intersection anymore. He makes a way in the wilderness. But they closed the road at 9 a.m. I had a meeting and the road was closed and I'm doing a U-turn and an unmet expectation produced anger. I could have killed somebody. You know, they just, you mean you're closing a whole road. Do this at a different time. You ever notice like when your uh, expectations aren't met, you become an expert at everything? I became a road construction expert right there at 8.55 a.m. on a Tuesday morning. Unmet expectation, stress, anger. Go write this down. Unmet expectation, that optimism, bias, bubble burst, it produces bitterness. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Didn't turn out the way that I thought. Looks a little different. And instead of actually diving in and figuring out our part, the enemy causes us to look externally and we get bitter. Unmet expectation, the optimism, bias, bubble burst, and it produces doubt and confusion. And I just want to set somebody free today. It's okay to doubt. It's just not okay for doubt to lead to unbelief. Doubting is a human response. Unbelief is a choice. It's like temptation is not a sin, but falling temptation is. Doubt is rational. Doubt is going to happen. It's when you allow it to go to unbelief that then you begin to be a captive of the enemy. Unmet expectations, last one, and we'll dive in next week, will begin to produce, if we're not careful, anxiety and depression. Maybe one of your unmet expectations this morning at one of our locations is that you expected to be free from this mental health struggle. You expected to be free from this stress, from this anxiety, from this addiction. If I gave it to God, if I came to church, if I, why am I not there? And you're still struggling with grief because of the struggle. Or maybe you're in here today, and I wanna talk about this, I wanna dive in. Your bubble has been burst because you've lost someone, you've lost something, you've lost a dream, and you're really struggling with, with grief and loss. I believe a lot of our mental health, our emotional health struggles 
start when that bubble is burst because we've walked through something painful. Something that happened to you. And there are things that we do that cause us to struggle with these scenarios, but there are sometimes things that just happen to us because we live in a fallen world. And I wanna talk about practically, how do we wrestle with pain and loss and grief? There's five stages of grief. If you've been in Psychology 101, you, you know this, but if not, let me give them to you. And then I wanna bring them to life in a, in a couple of different ways. Five stages of grief. The first one, write this down, is denial. And we'll define these in just a moment. The next one is anger. Anger. The next one is bargaining or guilt. The fourth one is depression. And the last one is acceptance. And if you've ever walked through pain, loss, or, or grief, you know that these are, are not necessarily always in order and you don't just go from one to the next. Like, I wish it was that way. I wish I could tell you when you went through something painful that you'd go from denial to, 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 to anger, to bargaining, to depression, to acceptance, then it would be over. But the crazy thing about grief and loss and pain is it's cyclical. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And it... It hurts because it hurts and you don't just advance from one block to the next. There's days where you're in all of them at the same time that you get to it, then you come back. And that's why that we're gonna talk about practical tools. But I'm just here to tell you today, if you don't get this, this Jesus thing down and this presence of God thing down, that the, the foundation of everything that we're gonna talk about has got to be our relationship with Jesus. And it can't stop there. We're gonna talk about the building blocks, but we've got to have the the foundation or we'll never get through these five stages. Let me illustrate it this way. My boys are 11 and seven now and they were about seven and three, Bentley and Kingston. Bentley's a, a builder. I got two totally different kids. Like I, I cannot believe two uh, humans could be different with the same DNA. And so Bentley and Kingston, seven and three. Bentley was a, a builder. Bentley was a Creator Bentley was building trains. He was building blocks. He was building whole cities at like four years old. Like seriously, architecture engineer, way smarter than his dad. And he would just build these just masterpieces, building blocks, Legos. Well, Kingston was a destroyer. <laughs> and he loved nothing more than to come in, sneak in, and just absolutely tackle whatever Bentley had built. And I remember one day Bentley had built this huge Lego thing, like thousands of pieces, and it's like sitting on the floor and Kingston just comes in and I mean, he just full, just, just kicks it. Billy didn't do anything wrong, but his life was destroyed. And I watched all five stages. I watched denial. No, this can't be real. I watched anger as he straddled his brother and began to hit him. And you may not like it, but the Daily House, we just don't punch in the face. Their boys will be boys. Like, you, you can handle your business, son. Just don't punch your brother in the face and don't use objects. No, no sticks, no knives. It's a clean fight. He was just wearing him out. I saw bargaining and guilt. What if I would have locked the door? What if I would have told dad? What is my part to play in this? Because at a certain point in your pain and loss, you will turn and blame yourself. I watched depression set in over my seven-year-old. What am I gonna do with my life now? It's over. <laughs> and finally, he accepted it. 
and moved on. In a much less fun illustration, I remember 18 months ago when it started to unfold of the betrayal in my marriage. And I remember walking through denial. This doesn't happen to people like me. I remember walking through anger, thinking things, saying things, doing things out of character because I was in a stage of grief and loss and pain that I'd never experienced. I remember the bargaining guilt stage where you begin to say, what, this is my fault. Remember the depression and the counseling intensives and don't leave the church over the antidepressants and medication that it took to get out of that season. <sighs> yeah, let's take the stigma off of people actually just trying to get better. And I remember through a support system and through counseling and through a great system of friends and church, I remember getting to acceptance. And what I'm here to tell you today that you can live in acceptance and just take dips back into the other stages if you have a relationship with Jesus. And there's so many people in this room that have walked through way worse than I have. I would never pretend to be a victim or the worst situation. I'm just here to tell you that Christians, pastors, leaders walk through pain, but you're going you're gonna to cyclically stay in the first four stages of grief if you don't put Jesus first, then get some building blocks. And I'm not here to tell you you're gonna live in acceptance forever, but you can live in there a lot more than you would have without the foundation of Jesus and the tools that we're gonna give. And so here's what I wanna, I wanna help you through personal experience and through practical. I wanna help us help others grieve well. So I wanna take some notes here and I wanna, filter it through this passage in Job chapter two. If you're new to church, Job went through the worst day you could ever think the worst time. He lost everything. He lost his, he lost his kids. He lost his wealth. He, he lost everything. Like literally a, a human in, the, in scripture, I can't think of anybody that went through more tragedy than, than, than Job. And he's in Job two. He's just lost everything. And it, it says this, this is his friends coming around him. Then how do we help others grieve is the question. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. The worst thing you can do when somebody is walking through something painful, grief and loss, is preach to them. In fact, one of the second worst things you can do is encourage them. It's not opinion. Look at Proverbs 26. Singing cheerful songs to a person with a heavy heart is like taking someone's coat in cold weather or pouring vinegar in a wound. I'm gonna come in, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna remind them of the truth. They don't care about your truth. They're walking through the worst situation of their life. You know, it's gonna be okay. No, it's not. For a long time, it's not gonna be okay. We're not, you're not one Christian statement from solving their pain and grief. 
And so we need to go back to Job too. I, I just wanna help us because we, we hurt with the best of intentions and the purest of hearts. We make it worse. And I wanna enable us and empower us and equip us to actually come into a situation and bring Jesus and help and healing. So let's go to Job 2. What do you do when somebody's walking through a death, a tragedy, a disease, a loss of relationship? Just sit with them. It's real simple. Just be there. Maybe seven days and seven nights. Next, if they wanna cry, cry with them. This is not gonna be brilliant, but it's gonna help you. If they want to laugh, laugh with them. If they want to sit, cry, and laugh. I found we come in with empathy and ask questions and sit and cry. Then we can begin to remember and bring light. I always say, come on, let's bring some light to a dark situation. If you bring a little bit of light to a dark situation, you're sitting in the dark. So there's a time where you can just goof off, be funny, self-deprecate, do something, lighten the mood, seriously. You sat in these rooms, you've been in the hospital rooms, have you gone through this yourself? You, you know that's what you need. You just need to be there. And I wanna cry, I need you to hold me. When I wanna laugh and not talk about it, I wanna talk about it. Let them lead the situation. You are not coming in to lead them. Their pain and their grief is leading them. And the only way out of that is the presence of God. And the only value you have in that situation as a Christian is bringing the presence of God. Because there's nothing you can say in your brain or in your heart that's gonna make them feel any better. But what you can do is you can be there and bring the presence of God there. And here's the spiritual piece Sit, laugh, cry, and pray scripture. Check out the difference. I come in and say, hey, you know, Eddie, I know what you're going through with, with your daughter right now. Hey, man, you just, I want to remind you, Eddie, Romans 8, God's working everything for good. He's like, what in the world? No, no, seriously, you got to. But if I stay for hours and sit and cry and laugh and then we get to pray, and I say, God, I just, I want, I want the spirit of God to speak to us today. And we know that we can not worry about anything, but if we pray about everything, God will give us a peace that surpasses all understanding. God, we know we don't believe it right now. God, we, we don't even know how to say it, but we know your word is true, that you are working everything together for the good of those who love you are called according to your purpose. And when we pray that out loud, we're not preaching or speaking. We're inviting the presence of God through the holy inspired word to come into that situation. And relationally, we've connected. And now the power of God can actually help people just equipping us to walk through these seasons together what we should expect and what we should give and that bubble's going to be burst I wish I could tell you I wish I could save you but if I can tell you anything I would say if you allow the seasons of the bursting to change you God will do something so beautiful in your life I've seen people, I've seen my boys, I've seen my family, I've seen thousands in the church not be killed by the fire, but refined by the fire. And how do we get that perspective? It's this right here. Write this down. Realize that until you get to heaven, there are just some things that you're never gonna understand. How do I deal with pain and loss? That's it. They realize until I get to heaven, there's just some things I'm never gonna understand. I wanna dive back into that optimism bias because it, it was fun, it made sense. But here's what I found in reading the study this week. Researchers would actually sit down with people 
and ask them the odds of winning the lottery. Ask them the odds of their, their kids playing college sports. Ask them the odds of, of a family member themselves that was diagnosed with cancer, stage two, stage three. Here, here are the odds of survival. They would take the test with all these questions. Then the researchers would sit them down, show them the graphs, show them the charts, show them the tables, show them the, the data of their answers. They would retake the test and their answers wouldn't change. Even presented with the facts, we still think, nope, not going to happen to me. And if you think about it, this is a survival mechanism that has been put on the inside of us, but it's been perverted. Please track with me. Optimism bias is not wrong. It's what it's attached to. When it's attached to, you're in control and you're going to figure it out. And this doesn't apply to me. It's a poor replacement or counterfeit for faith. It makes us feel better, but there's no actual substance or, or hope to what this is tied to. Wow. Because instead of it being tied to Jesus, it's tied to you. Oh and optimism bias leads to pride and self-righteousness. Optimism bias either says, I'm in control. It's not going to happen. I won't let that happen to my family. Interesting. All the followers of Jesus, except for John, died a martyr's death. Do they not have enough faith? <laughs> Suffering doesn't play favorites. Optimus bias is I'm in control. Or the flip side of pride is still an overfocus on self. It says, man, I just don't deserve this. I don't deserve to be walking through this. And the enemy has you right where he wants you if you think you're in control or you turn into a victim and say, I don't deserve this. Because both of those take the focus off of the only one who can get you out of it, and that's Jesus. The bubble's gonna be burst, but he already told us it was burst. In this world, you will have trouble. But it sucks. You ever, you ever played sports or been on a sports field or seen somebody get the wind knocked out of them? You ever fall on your back like somebody undercut you on a flag football field or on a football field and you land around your back and you're like, <gasps> you ever seen it? If you've never felt it, you, you think death is imminent. You're like, <gasps> <gasps> you're just laying there like, Lord, take me. Have you ever been there emotionally? It's tougher to breathe. It's tougher to do the just normal task. It's just life has just knocked the wind out of you. And if it hasn't happened, I used to say I pray that it doesn't happen, but that's a false prayer because it's gonna happen in some way, shape, or form. And the only way that you can truly catch your breath is to the presence of God. And here's what it says. Let me give you a couple of verses. What, what do we do when the bubbles burst and the wind's knocked out of us? 
Psalms 34, verse 18. If your heart is broken, you'll find God right there. If you're kicked in the gut, if the wind's knocked out of you, he, he will help you catch your breath. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. I do not want to be the super spiritual pastor to say there is not next steps in your loss and grief journey, because there are. If you've gone through real loss, you need help. You need a freedom small group. You need action recovery. You need a counseling intensive. You need a therapist. You may need some medication. I'm not saying it's the end all, be all, but it is the start. Don't settle for positive thinking and optimism bias. It is attached to nothing. It is a figment of your imagination. But Hebrews 11 reminds us that faith is the substance. The substance. The foundation of things hoped for. You don't have to walk through it alone. You don't even have to lead your own way out. You have to surrender and follow. Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Everything's fine until it's not. And when it's not, is when, Jesus, is when we need Jesus the most. Last one, John 11, verse 25. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. That's a verse for eternity. And it's an eternal perspective is the only way you're going to get through it. But let's read it for now. Anyone who believes in me, you got to catch this today. Anyone who believes in Jesus will live even after things die in your own life. That he is not just the resurrection and the life for eternity, although that is the greatest news of the gospel. He is the resurrection and the life to each and every situation that you will walk through, each and every season of grief and loss and pain. And the only way you gain access to that is by surrendering your life to him. And so I want to give that opportunity today at all of our locations to start this two-week journey that's going to be a seasonal journey, maybe a lifelong journey. We're just building some foundations here, and we're going to put some building blocks in place. If you're struggling, come back next week. We're going to get practical. And then we have so many resources, pastors, counselors, curriculums people to link arms with you. Every head bowed, every eye closed at all of our locations. If you want to live even after dying, both eternally and in this life, it starts with a relationship with Jesus. Jesus being the perfect son of God, living a perfect life so he could die in your place a sinner's death. Raised to new life to the resurrection. All so that you and I could have a bridge 
unholy people to a holy God. He died for you. His death gives you grace and forgiveness. His resurrection gives you power over death and power over the things that we struggle with in this life. Romans 10 says, if we will confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that he is Lord, he will come in and we can start a relationship. That's where the power comes from. A relationship with Jesus gives us access to the Holy Spirit and that's how we can overcome the things that we're wrestling with. If that's you today, you say, Pastor Justin, the Holy Spirit is speaking to me right now. Come on here at Winter Park at Sanford, South Orlando, Oviedo Action Online. God is speaking to you. Today is the day where you have the ability to live even after dying because you're gonna surrender your life to Jesus. You're gonna build a foundation on Christ and Christ alone. For some of you, it's for the first time ever. Others of you, it's a day of recommitment, of reconnection. You've been struggling with something. You've gone through something painful. You've suffered great loss, but Today you're giving it to Jesus. You're starting over. You're recommitting your life. If that's you, would you raise your hand right where you are? Come on. Yes, 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 yes. Proud of you. A dozen plus hands in here. Come on, Oviedo. Sanford and South. One right there worshiping at Action Online. Praise God. You put your hands down. You pray this in your heart as I pray it out loud. Say something like this. Say, God, I love you. And God, I thank you for saving me. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I'm saved only by your grace. And I am confessing with my mouth and I'm believing in my heart that you are the Lord. God, I give you that place. Complete and total control. God, have your way in my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. God, I pray for all of us. Holy Spirit, comfort the broken. Give strength to the weary. God, give peace to the stressed out. God, I pray for people to rally around those in our church and our congregations that are walking through a painful season. God, I pray right now by the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name that the fire they're walking through would refine them into the new creation that you're trying to produce. Come on, somebody's walking through it right now, and I just believe it's gonna, it's gonna be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You're walking through the fire, but you're coming out, you're not even gonna smell like smoke in Jesus' name. God's gonna do something powerful in you and through you, even through a season of loss and pain. God, allow us as a church to walk this healing journey, both spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. We thank you in advance, in Jesus' name. And everybody at Action Church said amen and amen. Can we celebrate all the decisions? Come on, really celebrate it. We're so proud of you.